Right, well, good morning. I'm sort of Ian's substitute today. You, you, you know, if somebody does a real nasty tackle on the football or on the pitch and they're, they're, they're hopping around, you get somebody else on to replace them. So that's me. And hopefully Ian will be here next week uh, to preach my sermon because uh, uh, we're essentially doing a swap. If he's not well enough by then, you get the same message twice in eight days. Which is, uh, which is quite a good deal, I think, anyway. So, um, guys, could you just spin one of the screens around so I can see, if possible, for... Oh, I can see the slides up there. That's okay. Grand. We're there. So, this morning, we're going to have a read from Colossians chapter 3. We're thinking uh, about making uh, good at work. We're really just thinking about God's role in our lives, especially in our workplaces, and uh, Ian was mentioning last week this uh, book that's come out recently from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity uh, by Mark Green. Um, Mark's done a lot of work uh, over the last 20 years to really uplift in uh, you know, Christian communities the, the power and importance of work. And so the series that we're doing is based around that, and therefore uh, the questions and studies that you'll get connected to that through the life groups will also, I think, help us dig around a bit into that. So we're looking at Colossians chapter 3 and uh, starting to read at verse 15. If we can just check that I'm pressing this hard enough. There we go. Excellent. So Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to be to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become uh, discouraged. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong, will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Amen. So we're thinking this morning about making good work. And I suppose one of the things to just make clear right up front is that when we talk about work, we're not necessarily talking about something that's paid. It can be full-time work, part-time work. It can be voluntary. 
It can be what you want to do. It can be what you have to do. But it's what occupies your time when you're not doing the recreational parts of life. Whether it's a job that you go to in a particular place, or it's the work of caring for your family. Biblically, work isn't necessarily what we get paid to do. It's anything we do that isn't just for the fun of it. Now, the problem is, a lot of times, we don't believe that most of what we do day to day is important to God. And the problem that then leads to is that uh, we can easily end up dividing our lives into the sort of holy bit and the secular bit. You know, so a lot of us are probably very good at being Christians at church on a Sunday or at life group uh, or if we go to the prayer meeting. But the real difficulty comes in trying to integrate being a Christian into the whole of our lives, into the workplace as well, into our relationships with our neighbors. And some of us may be really good at that, but some of us may not be. And dare we say it, it also is possible that what we want God to be involved in and there's what we don't want God to be involved in. Sometimes if we even dare to admit it, there's a bit of us saying, Lord, please don't turn up at work and embarrass me today. I don't know how to deal with that. If we're honest, there's a little bit of it us that can easily feel like that. But you know, we have a God who wants to be with us everywhere. And in fact, he is with us everywhere. He's already promised, I'm never leaving you and never forsaking you. So whether you believe it or not, or want it or not, God's at work with you. And he wants to fill you with his spirit. And he wants to lead you and guide you so that you can do a great job. All tasks matter to God. The Bible's absolutely clear about that, which is why Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I got a parking ticket this week. I was in Glasgow. I did everything I was supposed to do. But there was a traffic warden who was enjoying her job a whole lot more. She was so passionate about her work. It was incredible. Do you, do you know what? Later on, I went, I went online and there was photographs of my car. And there was photographs of my parking ticket. There was a photograph she was holding up in her hand. Notice this. She'd taken a photograph of the ticket that I put in my window, which was clearly out of date. Problem was... If there was a parking ticket in my window, in my window, how was she holding it? Oh, wonder about that. <laughs> that wasn't from my car. Uh, now, I don't think that that lady was a Christian doing her job. I think there was a lady under pressure who had to meet targets and would do things in order to meet those targets. And I'm sure my ticket will get revoked because I've got evidence that I've paid but, you know, there can be pressure on all of us to compromise in all parts of our lives and spaces. The world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. But Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, for it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. So he says it's everything. It's not just 30%. It's not just 40%. Not just 60, I can, I, we're almost going to go into a bidding war. So I'm hearing somebody over here go 65, 65 70, and we'll, we'll settle at 75. There we go. 
75%, and the, the other 25 of your life, you do what you want. No, God doesn't do that, does he? It's every part of who we are. Because God cares. Because he's interested. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God wouldn't ask us to do something for him with all of our heart if it wasn't important to him. So when he says, do everything you have, everything, you know, with all of your heart and do it for the Lord, that means everything we do is actually important. Even if we don't think it's important, he's saying it is. Now, I come from Lancashire, and my family is from Liverpool. So I have a right to tell the joke I'm about to tell. Okay, now I have to say, Scousers normally come out on the wrong end of most jokes, don't they, Jay? They do, that they come out, uh, I can tell you all sorts of jokes about cars with, uh, you know, you go up back outside and they're still on bricks, all of those sorts of things, tires have gone. Anyway, I used to work in Blackburn, and uh, there's a joke here, uh, a story from Blackburn, and the mayor was being chauffeur-driven down uh, the road one day, and he saw two workmen and one workman was digging a hole in the road, and then the other workman was filling the hole in. And he was thinking, that's very strange. So he got his chauffeur to, to pull up, and he yelled out the window. He says, hey, you two, what you up to? Digging a hole and then filling it in. What's your business? Now, these two workmen were scousers. And, um, and so one of them says, oh, yes, hi. Um, well, I was digging the hole like that's what I normally do. And then Jimmy normally does the repair on the pipeworks below. And then Frank here, he normally fills the hole in. But um, I don't know how to explain this, he says, but Jimmy's actually ill today and he couldn't make it into work. But I am proud to say that the two of us are here still doing our jobs, <laughs> filling the hole, digging the hole and filling it back in again. And oh my goodness me, the mayor like slaps himself on the forehead. What are these two idiots like? Anyway, there was a, there's, a, there's a lovely sort of humorous honesty about that, isn't there? That, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm determined I'm going to do a good job. I'm determined that I'm going to work hard. I, uh, I, I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a position where uh, being honest uh, is under pressure... I used to work, and uh, I'm, please, please don't throw rocks at me when I tell you this. I, before I was a pastor, I used to be an estate agent. I have had ministry. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it took me a lot of time to recover, but, but eventually I did. Now, so I worked for an estate agent for a year just after I had finished school and before I went off to Bible college uh, to do my theological training. Now, uh, where I was working in Lancaster, there was a lot of stone-built terraced houses. And most first-time buyers, most young couples, would buy a house there because those were the houses they could afford. But there was a particular house, which is a three-bedroom, semi-detached house that we had up for sale that was about 30% cheaper than it should have been. And so as a result of that, it was sort of in the price range for a lot of first-time buyers. So what we would get is young couples would come, view the house, really excited, because like this was an opportunity, and then they would put an offer in, the offer would be accepted, and then a survey would be done by their bank or the building society. Now, that's when the problems hit, because this house was subsiding. And 
I could see it the first time I ever turned up at the house because the windows and the doors were out of alignment. They were skewed and tilted. And somebody had tried to do some work, some remedial work, and so you could see on each corner of the house where they had dug down into the foundations to try and underpin it and to stabilize the house. The problem was whenever a building society sent a surveyor and they saw that it had been subsiding, their uh, offer of a mortgage fell through. And every time a young couple came and did this, they were paying hundreds of pounds to have a survey that they had no hope of ever getting through. And there were couples who were literally, you know, they've not got very much money, and, and they were literally using up all their money doing this and then ending up not having enough when they did see a decent house. So this particular day, I'm waiting outside this house and another young couple turn up. Uh, and so I decided that I was going to not take them in. I decided I was going to tell them the truth instead of just stringing them along and say, this house was going to be great for you. You should put an offer in. I said to them, can you just stand here a moment and have a look at the house? Can you see anything? Do you notice anything about the windows and the doors? And uh, they looked and they said, oh, yeah, that's a bit strange. We hadn't noticed that before. I said, well, you're not going to get a mortgage on, on this, and you're going to use up all your money. So what I want to say to you is, I've got other houses which are absolutely fantastic, where I can take you to have a look at, but this is not the one for you. And they were really, really pleased, and they were really, really grateful, and they wanted to buy another house. A few days later, my boss hauled me into his office because he had discovered what I was telling young couples. I wasn't telling everybody. I was telling the young couples. Anybody that was an investor, that was different. And I got a real, real telling off. And this was a sort of point for me in this work, was, was a matter of principle. Was I, was I going to lie? Was I effectively going to sort of encourage all the surveyors in the town to keep doing the job and emptying the pockets of these young couples? Or, or was I going to tell the truth? And I just decided that, no, I was going to stick to my guns and I was going to tell them the truth. And that's exactly what I did. Um, Within a year, I was no longer an estate agent. <laughs> Things have improved, by the way, since then. But there's a lot of pressure upon us, I think, not, maybe not always to lie, but maybe not always to tell the full truth, not to be fully there. And so it can be a difficult place to be. I don't know if you've ever had one of these. You used to have one of these when I was a little kid, a jack-in-a-box, anybody ever? They're not that popular today, especially because clowns are scary things, but some of us used to have them, a jack-in-a-box. One of the things I want to say to you is that it's very easy sometimes for us to put our Christian faith in a box and keep a lid on it. It's easy for us to sort of compartmentalize our lives. So that's the Christian bit, that's the church bit, and then this is the bit at work. This is, this is the bit over there. And I, and I keep God in the box and I keep the lid on the box. And, and then when I really, really need him, then I'll flick the switch and out God pops. And rather than a God in the box, we end up with a, rather than with a jack in the box, rather, we end up with a God in the box. And just when we, when we really, really need him, then, we, then Jesus pops out. And you know, that's when we call on him to do something for us. Let me tell you, God does not want to be kept in a box. In fact, let me tell you, God will not be kept in a box. One way or another, God is at work in you, and he wants to be at work with you. And allowing God 
to work through every part of our jobs, every part of our weekly lives is a really, really important. You know, one of the things I guess is that um, there may be some of you here who feel like, you know, Jeff, you just don't understand. I am doing a bad job. And by that they mean my job is bad. Not that I'm doing it badly necessarily, but my job is bad. It's really, really hard uh, just to see uh, any way forward out of this. You know, one of the things, and I've not got time to really preach into this in the passage, but have you noticed the uncomfortable stuff in the passage? The stuff about slaves? I mean, I mean Paul was speaking to slaves. I mean, slaves in, in the culture, in Colossae, in this Greek city. It, you know, slaves. He wasn't there saying, guys, we're going to break you out and take you away and get you back to your homeland. He was giving them a guidance and advice, even as slaves, in the incredibly, incredible difficulty of that place as to how to be God's person in that. So let me tell you, if you think God does not understand the real bad places some of us have to work, you've, you know, you're missing the point. God says he's with us even in the most difficult of jobs. Now, the reality is we can do a bad job well. and That's what Paul was telling these slaves to do. But equally, it's possible for us to do a good job badly. I've come across all sorts of situations over the years where a Christian in business has done some really daft stuff uh, or really done some bad things and brought the name of Jesus into disrepute. I suppose one of the things that is really obvious is once people know that you belong to Jesus at work, there becomes a great responsibility on us then, doesn't it? In terms of how we are, in terms of uh, our ethics, in terms of our honesty, in terms of am I really going to work hard and do a good quality job? Do I care about the quality of what I do? I suppose we might want to ask, well, why is, that? why is that even really important? Why is it significant? Why does work matter to God? And I suppose to answer that in a way, we need to go back to the beginning of the, garden, uh, of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. We're told in the scriptures that God made this garden for us for, as human beings, and it was a place of perfection. God was making space for his children. He designed and created this amazing, beautiful place to live. And I guess it's a bit like, you know, if any of you have ever had children, uh, when you know a baby is on its way, then a room is set aside, and you design a nursery, and you set it out, and you lay it all out, and, and you, 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 you figure out how everything is going to be safe. You take all of the risk and the dangerous stuff away. So God has made a place for us. He made a world for us. But you know, it wasn't a world where we just sit around on deck chairs sunning ourselves. I always find it interesting when we talk to people about their ideas of heaven or what happens when we die. I mean, the Bible speaks about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. But you know, it's not going to be like going to the Maldives and just lying on the beach in the sun. And in fact, the Garden of Eden wasn't like that either. God created a place as, where, as humans, we could flourish and grow. One of the most obvious things, I guess, we forget about a garden, especially when it's a new one, is that gardens grow. They don't stay the same. So this garden was growing. And as a garden grows, it needs work. The land needs to be tended. And God had put those first human beings in that place. It wasn't a static thing. 
just a garden to be manicured and preserved for posterity, like a, like a museum. It might have been a model garden, but it was not a mature garden. It was headed somewhere. This garden was perfect, but it had further potential. And do you know how that potential was going to come about? It was going to come about from, through the work that as human beings, we would do as God put it there. It was all headed somewhere beyond what it already was. And the work of the man and the woman was part of that journey. Now, tragically, we know from Scripture that the man and the woman messed up the plans of God. And that what that did was it, cre- it contaminated everything. But it contaminated work for us as well. In Genesis 3, God says to the man and woman, he says, as a result of their sin, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Work was contaminated. It, wasn't, it was no longer perfect. It was no longer completely pleasurable. And so there are real reasons why our jobs themselves are not always easy, our bosses are difficult, why we can get bullied by our work colleagues. But that doesn't mean that work has lost its original purpose. God gave us a planet to care for, a creation to look after, where people could be clothed and fed and sheltered and grow. That yearning that God puts in us for human flourishing to continue to grow is still there. And work is God's instrument to get things done that he wants done for the benefit of people and to his glory. And you and I can all make a difference where we are. Christians have a duty, not only to do their work well, but to do all they can to ensure that the work they do benefits others. We can't spend time looking through Genesis, but just very, very briefly, when you look at the story there, we discover that that in God's work of creation and through the man and woman, he was wanting to preserve order. He was wanting to bring provision, and there was joy, and there was beauty in that place. And all of our work, no matter where we are or what we do, whether we get paid for it or not, really God wants it to serve those purposes. There will be order and provision. There will be joy and there will be beauty. There is joy when something ordinary is done as if it were really, really important. If you're cleaning floors or having to clean out the toilets, whether you're serving a budget on a a multi-million pound company, it doesn't matter where you are or what you do. Serving God with all of your heart in that role is God's heart for you. There is joy. But we need a change of perspective then for that to really happen so that we can see our work the way God sees it. We need a change of motive on why we do our work. I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? Why do you do what you do during the week? Well, some of us, I guess in most of us, we need the money. You know, we need to eat, we need to pay the mortgage, pay the bills. All of that. But what about deeper motives? What God says to us here, what Paul says, is really that a fundamental change in perspective is this, that we are servants and we are not the boss. 
And ultimately, and I, I, I have to say, I, I've had a couple of bosses from hell. Has anybody here ever had a boss from hell over the years? Anybody? Yeah, I can see hands. Right, put your hands down. Is anybody here a boss from hell? <laughs> no? 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 None of us want to think that we're the boss from hell, do we? We've all had a boss from hell. And if you've ever had a boss from hell, I, don't know, I, I, I suspect that what you're saying is, I would never treat people like that. I would never treat people like that. If I was in that position, I would, I would do the job completely differently. And you know, that's because God's heart is crying out within you to bring transformation where you work, where you spend your time the rest of the week. We serve God by serving others. Why? Because we're working for God. God's the boss. I mean, God is literally the boss of the company. Brian, I don't know whether when, when you were the boss whether you always saw yourself as a boss or whether you realized and thought that God was ultimately your boss. I think you did think that. He is the boss. But you know what? It gets more intimate than that because we're not just working for our boss. We're working for our dad. We're working for our heavenly father. You see, this is a family business. Wherever you are is family business. And do you know what? In a family business, if you're the children, that means you get the inheritance afterwards. Now, I can't guarantee that we're all, all, all the workers, uh, uh, whatever companies you've got, or whether it's you, we're going to get the inheritance from there. But God has got an inheritance for you in heaven, stored up, waiting for you. If you have a heart for your workplace to be his dominion. Yes, we've got a fallen creation. But God has a plan to bring transformation, a whole new creation. He says, behold, I am making all things new, which means he can make a difference at work and he can make a difference through you. But there are a few things we need to recognize. And the first one is trust, is faith. Folks, if we don't have a heart of faith to trust God for the things that happen at work, then we will probably not be praying about things that happen at work. Now, this is going to sound terrible, okay, but I'm being really honest. Um, I work as a hospital chaplain. That, by the way, that's not the terrible bit. Let me just, you might think, Jeff, a chaplain, hospital, that's terrible. How could he be a chaplain? I'd never, I'd never ask for him to visit me. That's not the terrible bit. The terrible bit occurred just recently. I'd been going through a really hard time uh, with somebody at work, two people, and some bullying. And one Sunday I was sitting here listening to the message and I really sensed God just speak to me and he said this. He said, Jeff, why have you not prayed about this? Like, how can, how can Jeff, Christian for nearly 40 years, who's been a pastor, works as a hospital chaplain, how can he not be praying about something at work? Well, oh, but why? It wasn't that I, I completely compartmentalized. I hadn't put God in a box, but I had got to a place where probably I was doing it in my own strength. And you know, when, when you are full of yourself and you're doing it in your own strength, there is an, an innate mo uh, attitude underneath, which is, I don't need any help. I'm not going to ask God. And God really just rebuked me while I was sat here listening to the sermon. I said, Jeff, I am your father and I care about you. And I hate 
what's happening to you. Now, come and ask me to do something about this, and I will do something. Um, this is a bold story, the one I'm about to tell you. Um, I had a guy at my church in Preston who was being bullied at work by his manager. He worked uh, in a sports clothing company, and his manager was a Jehovah's Witness. And Stuart came to me one day, and he, and he, was, in, he was literally in tears. He was crying his heart out. He, he was just breaking his heart. Um, and, and he explained everything that happened. Now, when I was at Bible College, um, a minister there who was also a lecturer told, told us a story. And it's, it's, he said, this, now, can I just explain to you? You're gonna, you might be shocked when I tell you this. But he said, there was, somebody in, there was somebody who was causing a huge amount of havoc and damage to other Christians. And um, one day, the, the pastor of that church said, Lord, I want you to change this person. But Lord, if they will not change, if they will not change, would you please just take them? Just take them out of the way. Remove them from the situation so they can't do anything. So I remembered this and I said to Stuart, look, Stuart, what God wants to do is he really wants to change the heart of this guy. That's his prime desire. But he doesn't want him bullying you and putting you in this state. So if he won't change... Then, then we're going to ask God to take him away. So we, he said, I said to him, are you okay for us to pray about that? So we prayed. We got on our knees in our lounge in the manse. We prayed, Lord, you care about this Jehovah's Witness. We are asking you to change his heart. But Lord, if he stubbornly refuses, then we're asking you to take him out of the way so that your servant is free from this abuse. Monday, Stuart went into work. His manager was not there. Stuart came home that evening and he rang me. He said, Jeff, you will never believe it. The manager got sacked over the weekend. And we were like, whoa, whoa. Now, I have to say, I wasn't celebrating. I was glorifying God for what he'd done. But I was full of sadness for a man whose heart, who claimed to be serving God, was full of abuse for others. Now, God wants us to be able to thrive in our workplaces, and God cares. God wants to protect you in your workplace, but he also needs you to be his servant. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this uh, and, and about who you are at work. Uh, Tricia, my wife, is a counselor, and uh, every time I mention Tricia, by the way, when I'm preaching, she, I can see her face go, <gasps> like, what, what are you about to tell people? So, Trish is a counselor, and very often Christians will say, are you a Christian counselor? And uh, we always find it slightly amusing, because what, what's the alternative? I'm a non-Christian counselor. So anyway, we know what people mean, but what Trish says normally, she says, I'm a counselor who is a Christian. And we won't get into the understandings of counseling theories and all of that business, but what, interestingly, what you don't get is, are you a Christian plumber? You know, the, 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 you anoint the pipes with oil before you put them in and tie them in. Nobody asks you a Christian plumber. But you're a plumber who's a Christian. Okay? And, and, and so let's get our mindset there. Whatever your job, okay, uh, whatever you do during the week, you do it. But do it for the Lord. Okay. Now, somebody just shout out a job. Shout a job that you do. A cleaner. So you're a Christian cleaner. 
or God wants you to be a Christian cleaner. Anybody else? Another job. What was that? A pastor. Thank you very much for that. That, you rascal. Yes, I'm a pastor who happens to be a Christian. Thank you very much. I'll be having words with you, young man. Come on, any other jobs? A teacher. A teacher who's a Christian. One more. A nurse. A nurse who is a Christian. Okay. I'm not going to get into arguing all around the whys and wherefores, but there is something about our sense of identity in what we do. Because if we acknowledge that who we are in Christ is intimately and inseparably connected to our jobs, then we can no longer leave God at home. And as I said before, God does not get left at home. In John 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And then in verse 5, he says this. And this is, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, think about yourself, whatever your work is, voluntary, family, you go out somewhere full-time, part-time, God is saying to you about that, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's just see if I can get the next slide. There we go. Right, I love movies. Anybody here love movies? Give me a wave, love movies, spare time when I get home, nothing love better than sitting in the evening watching a movie. When we got married, Trish had a TV, it was 17 inches. Oh dear, 17, when you're a movie lover, you've got a 17 inch TV. So Trish wasn't very happy about getting a bigger TV. The TV accidentally broke. You know, moving it, it was 17 inch TVs back then were really heavy. Um, my foot's recovered, by the way, since then. Um, so I went out and got a TV. It was a couple of inches bigger. Every four or five years, for some reason or another, we needed a new TV. And every four or five years, the TV grew by a couple of inches. I've now got a 42 inch. 4K, ultra high definition, Dolby surround sound TV. It's awesome. And I'm going to invite you around to watch my TV. Now imagine if you come around this week to watch some great movie. I don't know what your favorite movie is, so let's go. We're going to go for Top Gun 2 with Tom Cruise. We sit down and we spend the next two hours looking at that. And I say, isn't it brilliant? Isn't it huge? It's got voice command. I can tell it exactly what to do. And all the while you're thinking, yeah, but hang on a minute. What about, what about watching something on it? We've sat there for two hours watching a blank screen. Jeff, have you not thought about plugging it in? Having some power, you would find the movie would be a whole lot more entertaining. Now, that is such a ridiculous thing for us to do that it makes no sense. And yet, and yet, many of us are living lives at work that are unplugged. We are, in fact, doing our lives, our work lives, apart from God. When God is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's as ludicrous as having a 42-inch 4K TV and never plugging it in. Folks, we have got to be plugged in. We have to be connected to Jesus 
We need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this sort of work. I, um, and, and so, of course, that would be what it looked like. It would be amazing. It would be fantastic. It would be awesome. And you would be amazing, fantastic, and awesome if you made sure that you were plugged in to God at work too. He wants to go with you. Um, when I was growing up as a Christian, I became Christian when I was about 17, um, there was an American Christian singer around a lot of the time called Don Francisco. And I have to say, I have to say, thank you very much, I have to say, um, get yourself onto Apple Music or wherever. If you've never listened to Don Francisco's songs, which are taken from stories in the Bible, they are amazing. They will, they will minister, minister in amazing ways. So there's a fantastic album called Don Francisco, The Live Concert, which is awesome. Listen to it if you can. Every, at the end of every song, you will hear the crowd cheering and clapping and roaring. And you will hear all the time while that is happening, Don Francisco going, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise his name. If ever you saw him live, he would never take that praise for himself. He would always bounce it back up to God. Now, this is what we might call a vanity mirror. Has anybody got a vanity mirror at home? None of, one of you, one of, thank you. You're the only one, only one of us in here who's got vanity mirrors. It's interesting, they're called vanity mirrors, isn't it? You know, if you just spend that, you, you've, you've got a choice of spending the whole time just seeing yourself. But I want you to imagine every, in everything you do with your life that we're carrying one of these mirrors around. And instead, instead of it, all of it reflecting on us, Whenever anybody looks at something we do and says, you know, that was fantastic, you did a terrific job. Instead, we just tilt that mirror and we bounce the glory to heaven. And we give the glory to him in everything we do. I literally, every day, imagine that I'm carrying around a tilted mirror. And whenever anything like that comes, I'll just give God all the glory. And you might think, you know, we shouldn't be about all of that praise and stuff. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus highlights the Pharisees who were motivated to do all these great, amazing things like giving money to the poor in public. Why did they do it? So that they could get the glory. And Jesus rebuked them. And he said, he said, you should go into a room and hide away and do that in secret. But then, interestingly, in Matthew 5, he talks there and he says, we are the light of the world. We're like a city on a hill. You're like a lamp. And what you shouldn't do is cover up that lamp. Instead, he says this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Now, at that point, we're going, oh, no, 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 hang on. No, it's all about humility. We don't want people to see our good deeds and praise us. You're absolutely right. Jesus says that they may see your good deeds and get the mirror out, folks. Give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. That's what it's all about. It's not about us. It is all about him. So folks, when you go wherever you're going to go this week, whether it's work, whether it's with your neighbors, whether it's to the nursery or to the school, whatever it is, whatever you do, says Paul, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, for it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Now, in these messages over the coming weeks, we're going to figure out how we can be that sort of person at work and not turn people off Jesus, by the way. (laughs) You know? There was somebody at my first job who was a Christian, and everybody else told me, oh, they're just terrible. They just won't stop preaching at us. And I was immediately like, oh my goodness, now what am I going to do? So I just put a little badge on my jacket with a little fish on, the ichthus. And I just thought, I'll put that there and I'll see what comes of it. People started asking me, what's that fish? So I had to explain. I'm not going to explain to you, by the way, today. If you want to know what that little fish is about on people's cars, come and talk to me and I'll tell you. It's a little secret sign of being a Christian. The The thing was, people wanted to know. They wanted to know. So I told them. And I went, oh, right, so you're a Christian. When I left that job a year later, with the boss very happy to see me go, everybody else clubbed together and they bought me a gold cross. They bought me a gold cross. They went explicit (laughs) with the cross because of what they'd seen in my life. Now, Jesus has a way of us being his people where we are. And over these coming weeks, we're going to find out more about how to do that. Now, what we're going to do next is just hear from Annalie, and she's going to tell us about an amazing thing that can happen in her work and how maybe God can do things in ours. Thanks, Annalie. Is that it? Oh, there we go. Um, I was just so excited to hear that we were going to be talking about um, how we can be fruitful in our workplace. And I I don't know if I know everybody, if you're visiting here today, my name's Annalie. I work for an organization called Young Life International. It's a Christian charity. And the work that I am um, responsible for is a group called Young Lives, where um, we have an opportunity to support and mentor teenage mums. And I do have a wonderful opportunity to build deep and beautiful friendships with these young women and to, over time, as we walk through life together, um, to have kind of earn the right to be heard and have a chance to share my faith. And so I, I do appreciate that that's an incredible blessing that not everybody has in their workplace. But when I heard that we were doing this um, series, I was so excited. And this past week, I've just, I just have seen God working in a way that I've been praying for for such a long time. So I just wanted to have a chance to share that with you today and give him glory for what he's doing in, in the work, in the lives of some of these young women. So, um, yeah, the work that I do, we meet on a weekly basis and we get to know these young women. And once a year, we have a chance to take them to camp. And this past week, I had the chance to take 18 of these young moms to camp for the weekend. And I didn't go alone. June and Jen came to lead with me. Ellis and um, Janet came to cook for me. Jacques and Mika came to do all the jobs that I need people to do. And so I couldn't have done it alone. But we went um, off together with these young women. Now, some of these young women... Um, I've known for four or five years. I've had an opportunity to go through all kinds of things with them. Um, Have I had an opportunity to share who Jesus is with them? 
Um, and then some of the girls literally I've only known for a week or two. We had some girls that came with us that we met the week before camp who took a brave step to come away with us. Now at this camp, we have a chance to go through the whole gospel message. We talk about who Jesus is the first night. And the second Saturday, we look at sin and our need. And then on the Saturday night, the cross, Sunday morning, the resurrection. And as well as doing that, we do loads of crazy games and activities and all kinds of um, amazing things. The idea being to kind of take them out of their comfort zone, to do things they've never had an opportunity to do, to walk with them through those activities. And I love the preparation. Part of what I love to do is kind of creativity. And so in the months leading up to I spend a lot of time kind of asking God to give me great ideas and to come up with some amazing plans, some that are ridiculous plans, but some that are good. And um, this year, I decided on the Saturday night after they'd heard the cross talk, what I wanted to do was create a kind of wilderness spa. The idea was to create a lovely spa environment and opportunity for them to relax and have some fun and have a nice treat but somewhere unusual. So we created this spa out in the, in the woods. And um, so the parts of the spa that were to be planned, and this is, all, this is all part of the story, so sorry, I am not going into loads of detail for no reason, was that we would do a sauna, have a sauna that we would build. Then we would have some kind of cooling tanks that the girls would climb into to kind of cool down. Then there would be a lovely big roaring fire and a place to sit, a kind of cozy space. Then there'd be a treatment room where they could have massage and face masks and all kinds of things like that. So great idea on paper. Um, but over the, over the months, I, I was asking everybody to help me. I'm like, I've got this grand idea, but I don't know how to make it work. So thankfully, my life group jumped in and helped me um, to come to get these cooling tanks. We got a huge, big commercial bin for one of them, and we got a big liquid bulk container for the other. We cut them up, up, we made them into these amazing cooling tanks. But the sauna was just driving me crazy. I was getting in touch with all my Norwegian friends and friends from abroad saying, OK, I want to build this sauna. I need your help. I have no idea how to do it. And they were all like, Anley, that is such an expensive idea. That's crazy. You're never going to manage it. My dad's like, Anley, that's really dangerous. You definitely shouldn't do that. Um, so nobody was really helping. And I am one of these kind of characters that when I get an idea in my head, for those of you that have worked with me, I kind of go after it, sometimes a bit, bit silly, but I, I just go after it and I can't get it out of my head. So I eventually found this man in America called Jay who said, oh, it's not that difficult. You can build a tent. You can dig a hole. You can heat some stones up in a fire for four to five hours with all the really, really Really hot then move the stones into this kind of um, thing you've dug in the middle of a tent and it'll create heat I was like got it got it okay super so um, my friend Laura and I went away for the weekend and um, so I might have acquired 20 stones off a beach somewhere. I have to give you the disclaimer that Laura had nothing to do with that. But I gathered these 20 stones and I took them out to camp. And the guy there said, okay, Anley, these stones might work, but you're going to have to dry them out thoroughly. They're going to have to like spread them out in this warm tent, let them dry out because otherwise they may explode. And I was like, what? So honestly, in the weeks leading up to camp, I was having nightmares and trying to write risk assessments on a sauna where stones might explode. Honestly, I was in such a state about it. Thankfully, I got to camp and this other friends of ours said, okay, I think we've got another way we can do this. They helped me to create the sauna with a wonderful heater and it was all wonderful. Anyway, we, I kind of forgot about the stones and um, over the course of the weekend, we'd been really praying, God, we're praying for breakthrough in these women's lives. Some of them that we've known have heard the gospel and they've just not taken that step to follow Jesus we're praying for breakthrough and on the Saturday night we had the spa and as they came up to the spa some of the leaders called me aside and they were like Anley 
some of the girls are saying they're, they want to know what to do next. Like they've heard what Jesus did at the cross and they want to take the next step and they want to know how, what, what, how would you advise that we kind of gather them together and talk about this? So I said, okay, leave it to me. We'll invite them to come together in the morning. We'll come up with, you know, a, a chance to pray together and talk them through what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, and the other thing we do at camp is we have what's called a cairn. Um, most of you from Scotland will know what that is, but often you see them on journeys and hillsides where people have taken a walk and it's kind of a, a, mile, a mile marker, if you like, a part of the journey, a significant part of their journey. We also see it in the Bible where Joshua was taking the Israelites across the Jordan and he said, we're going to stop for a moment, we're going to gather these stones, we're going to build them up at Gilgal to remember what God has done. And so we have that at camp when a young person comes to know Jesus, we give them the opportunity to take a stone and put it on the cairn just as a place, I'm, I'm saying that this is where they're making a commitment to Jesus. So the spa finishes, it's very late, it took me forever to get the girls to go to bed and I'm sitting with the team, it's getting to like two o'clock in the morning, we're trying to prepare everything for the next day, we're planning a new believers time together in the morning and then one of the, the speaker that had come says, oh well, Anley, we're going to need to go and gather some stones from, from the lock and make sure there's a stone for each of them to put on the cairn and into my head I'm reminded I'm like the stones are already there they're already lying in the tent they're already dried out they're already there for them and honestly guys I know it might seem like a tiny little thing but on that morning as we prayed with these girls eight girls gave their lives to Jesus last weekend which was just an absolute answer to prayer for years and years of walking with some of these girls and as we prayed with them we were able to walk through pick up these stones as if they'd been lying there prepared for them and take them up to the cairn where they could mark their moment where they were making a commitment to Jesus and for me personally it was just such an encouragement I just thought Lord you asked me to do this part and then you did all the other stuff that I didn't even know needed to happen and it was just this amazing kind of encouragement you know we sing in that song the blessing then may his presence go before me go behind me go beside me be all around me and within me and this for me was just such a kind of encouragement from the Lord that he does go before us in our workplaces in those places that really matter to us where we're loving and caring for people and having an opportunity sometimes to demonstrate who Jesus is and other times to speak of who he is and God goes before us and he fills in all the gaps all the things that we miss um, so it was just a beautiful beautiful picture of his goodness and his love for us as well as for the girls. Thank you, Annalie, and what a fantastic encouragement, isn't it, that remembrance that God goes ahead of us. I'm reminded what Paul says in Ephesians. He says of you and I that we are uh, God's workmanship. We, we are his workmanship, and we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In advance. Annalise's story is a testimony that God was already there ahead, making all the preparations. And isn't that not an encouraging thought? That this week, when we go into our workplaces and the spaces on our God's already there, and he's been preparing stuff. And all we need to do is go with open eyes to discover and recognize the stuff he's already doing. <laughs> 